If you have your Bibles, why don't you open them with me, please, to the book of Matthew, chapter 8. Matthew 8. Aaron and Meg are at, uh, on a little uh, family or mini family. They didn't take their youngins. They took a little sort of a, a honeymoon-type vacation. And they're, so they're having a good time for a couple of weeks. And as I said, Lori and I were away last week uh, speaking at a conference near Chicago. We're in this series called Miracles with Meaning. Would you say that out loud, please, with me? Miracles with Meaning. Miracles. Miracles. We do not have permission from the gospel writers to follow a non-miracle Messiah. Is Jesus a good teacher? Mm Yeah, yeah. He actually said, I mean, his words are spirit and life. Is he a good teacher? Is he a is he a, a sacrifice? Is he a sacrificial lamb? Did he did he die for our sins? Yes, yes he did. Yes he did. But if we don't follow a miracle working Messiah, then we we will just leave a nice guy dead on the cross. It's the resurrection that makes this thing significant. <laughs> Lots of nice people have died horribly. One of them did so voluntarily. And then didn't stay dead. The miracles of Jesus mattered to those who experienced them, they, and they still speak to those who read of them. The Gospels contain stories of Jesus' ministry that not only record a, a real miracle, but communicate a message to each reader. These are miracles that have meaning. Today we are in Matthew chapter 8. We're going to pick it up at verse 5 and go through 13, and then we'll respond. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? Now, if your, if your Bible doesn't have that as a question, don't panic and run out of the room. I'll, I'll explain that in just a minute. Shall I come and heal him? Verse 8, the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. That one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do, and he does. Go, come, do. Those are good verbs. Those aren't accident. He says, I understand. Go, come, do. When I say, it happens. Verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And he said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast 
with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Good morning. Happy Sunday. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 13, then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done. Did you hear that? I say go. I say come. I say do. What did Jesus just say? <laughs> go. Let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. A real miracle occurred. Jesus, in this story, you can leave, if you, Faith, if you're looking for when to push the button, I'll, I'll wink at you. Leave it here for just a minute. Jesus exercises authority and heals someone over a distance. Now, I know that for you and I, we kind of have that 2020 hindsight thing. So you and I have heard about Jesus, and so we hear this, and we say, oh, yeah, he healed somebody at a distance. Sounds like Jesus to me. They didn't have this book. The centurion, he probably, he didn't have a Bible. He was a Gentile. He was a Roman. And this is the first time in the book of Matthew, if you're reading this the first time, you open this up, you have this text, this is the first time that someone is healed over distance. What? The reader should be appropriately taken back in wonder. Wow. Give yourself permission to just say wow when you read your Bible like you've never heard this stuff before. It, might actually, it will affect your faith response. So this miracle then shows Jesus' authority while it also affirms his compassion. Authority and compassion right there with Jesus. It also, though, highlights how much Jesus is attracted to and moved by and delights in faith. This is the only time in the book of Matthew where Jesus is amazed. Every time he does something, everybody else is amazed. They marvel, they wonder, they give praise to God, they get mad, they protest, whatever. People freak out, people respond to him. But this is the only time in the book of Matthew where Jesus, the Son of God, Emmanuel, where he's taken back. He marveled. I know you, so many of us have this almost stoic thing of Jesus where he probably was like, hmm, I see. I see you have great faith, like he's a Jedi or Spock or something. <laughs> but let Jesus go, wow! He's on his way, the centurion says this, he answers back, this is the answer. Jesus stops in his tracks and almost is speechless. He's ama amazed. He's strucken, stricken, struck, Moved by, affected by wonder. 
He's amazed at someone. What's he amazed by? Not by his performance. Not by his perfection. Not by his appearance. Not by his resume. Not by his lineage. Not even by his good behavior. He's amazed by his faith. I want to have faith that amazes Jesus. I want to have faith that amazes Jesus. I want to have faith that is compassionate. You see that in verses 5 through 7. I want to have faith that is compassionate. This man, Jesus comes back to Capernaum, which is his hometown. At this time, this is where he's living. And a centurion, who is a a Roman military leader. Uh, He is a a head over a a cohort, a company of soldiers. Uh, The the centurion lends us to the idea that there's probably around 100, but probably not exactly. It may have been around 80, but there would have been 80 80 or so or 100 uh, of soldiers under his command. It was a a high-ranking situation. He was well-respected. He comes to Jesus, and he asks for help. He, he finds Jesus and asks for help. His servant is at home uh, paralyzed and suffering. So not just unable to move, but there was something that was that, that unable to move and yet under t- tremendous physical pain or torment. Now, the reader should probably infer a few things at this point. And that is that if this is a Roman centurion, he probably has access to resources under his command. He probably has a, you know, a medic. You know. He has certain resources that would have already been attempted. There would have been some level of significant engagement for, to fix the problem. Especially before this Roman centurion would condescend to ask for help from a Jewish rabbi. You see that this is not like, again, it's so easy for you and I to read this in hindsight and say, well, if I knew Jesus, that's the first thing I'd do. Right. Because you and I know the whole story. This feller didn't. Look, you just have to kind of just get the idea that there's, there's no reason necessarily to believe that this Roman centurion had any sort of perfect Christology. Well, of course, he's the son of God. He's the second person of the Trinity. He's, uh, he's, uh, he's, uh, he, be, he began before time. He's actually the son of David. He couldn't delineate the history of Jesus. He couldn't articulate a Christology. He, couldn't, he, he, might not, he wouldn't even have probably at this point even knew that, assumed that Jesus was divine. But he needed help. He had exhausted probably his resources, and so this powerful Roman comes to seek help <laughs> From, from a not very powerful in natural terms, Jewish rabbi. He asks for help. And he gets it. He brings his faith and he asks for help. The leper came last two weeks ago. We saw the leper come seeking help for himself. Now the centurion comes seeking help for someone else. Neither one of them had a right to ask. Both of them sought compassion without merit. 
both of them sought compassion, interceded for compassion without merit, without earning it, without deserving it. They didn't bring a deal. They didn't come to negotiate with Jesus. Faith does that. Faith intercedes. Faith seeks help. It seeks healing. It seeks blessing. It seeks deliverance. It seeks divine intervention. Faith is a conduit between heaven and earth, and it does so without merit. It doesn't come, it doesn't come trading. It comes asking. He comes and says, I, I need your help. That's what faith does. Then in verse 7, Jesus says, uh, the, the kind of the wooden Greek sounds like this, I am to come heal him. That doesn't make any sense, which is why in some more contemporary English uh, versions or translations, it's, it, it's phrased as a question, am I to come? The question, in other words, it, 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 because of, there's an emphatic ego, the word is, it's, I know that ego means ego, but it means ego, I mean, it's I am uh, in the Greek. The fact that Jesus says, I am to come and heal him, that doesn't make sense uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, grammatically, it does, it's unnecessary. Uh, and, uh, and historically, uh, it, it sounds like Jesus is saying, I myself will come and do this. Um, well, yeah, Jesus, so far you're the only one who's done anything. At this point, he hasn't sent anybody to do nothing. He hasn't sent intermediaries yet. So he and 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 he Jesus and the centurion didn't ask Jesus to send somebody to do it, <laughs> right? So the neither the language or everything else. So it actually makes more sense if we understand the emphatic to be presented as a question. You want me to come to your house? So the, and the question isn't about whether or not he would heal, but am I to come to your house? There's the question. You see, what's the big deal, Jesus? <laughs> Jesus never, we have no record of him ever going to a Gentile's home. Don't get upset about it. Well, I'll explain that at the end of this of today. But he never does. Jews didn't go to Gentile homes. They didn't go in there. There's lots of reasons for it. It has to do with the principle of uncleanness. They say they, they would not make themselves unclean. They would touch not, they would not touch unclean things. The most, now how, I'm looking, survey, 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 survey. How are we doing in the room? Uh, uh, the most unclean thing would have been uh, uh, a dead body that they, they couldn't touch. One of the number one reasons why in the first century Jews would not go into Gentile homes is because it was known, ooh, sorry about that, Mom. It was known that, uh, well, it was, it was abortion. I didn't expect him to get political today. Uh, I'm not being moral. It's always been evil. It's always been known to be evil. And back then it was an evil that was known and so, so known that that's, you say, why were they so, so serious about never going in those homes? Because they knew that's where that happened. So Jesus says, you want me to come to your house? Now, he didn't say he wasn't, but it was a question. It, was, it could have been confrontational or it could have just been a curiosity-invoking question like, Are you, do you know what you're asking? But irrespective of how he asked it, it was the centurion's answer is the point of the story. 
His answer showed us a faith that is confident. I want to have a faith that is confident. Verses 8 and 9, the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is the same rhythm and feel of John the Baptist when he said, I am not fit to untie his shoes. Okay, I am not fit. I don't, I'm not fit to have you as a guest in my home. But just say the word. And my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, soldiers under me. Go, go, come, come, do, do. I don't deserve for you to come into my home. He does not approach Christ again with any confidence in his own merit. This is important for us because so many folks, when it comes to, when it comes to exercising faith, one of the first things people do is take a look in the rearview mirror or they take a look in themselves. They kind of they do a quick inventory of their own merit, a quick inventory of their own worth. Have I been nice? Did I lose my temper on the way to church? Did I tip the waitress enough? Did I watch any, did I watch something on TV I shouldn't? You know, did I fib? They, they quickly go through their, and I'm not saying that faith gives us license to sin. It certainly doesn't. Living by faith should free us from sin. But coming to Jesus, it, we never bring with us our own merit, our own resume, our own list of negotiations. I'm not, look, Jesus, I'm not worth for you to come into my house. But if you'll just say it. You can just say the word, he said. Just speak. Just give the command, Jesus, and it will be done. Then the centurion says, I understand authority. There's something about that phrase that I can almost just see Jesus begin to smile as he says it. I understand authority. He says, the centurion effectively says this. Listen, I can, I can secure action. I can get things done over a distance. I can do it because the empire backs me. The Roman empire backs my words. So when I speak, things happen. And if I can do it, he says to Jesus, I think you can. If I can, you must be able to. My words are backed by the Roman Empire, but your words are backed by the dominion of heaven. He recognized that there was a dominion behind Jesus, an authority. His faith His confidence was a genuine, he had a genuine confidence in Jesus. He did not come with some fantasy. He didn't come with superstition. He didn't try to remake Jesus after his own preference. Hey, Jesus, he wasn't a genie in a bottle where you just do what I say, Jesus. No, no, He he came to what he thought was a reasonable conclusion concerning Jesus' power, his nature, and his authority. And that reasonable conclusion led him to an audacious decision. He was the first person that said, you don't have to come. (laughs) Just say it. 
And this confidence in Jesus made him confident enough to trust that simply an exercise of Jesus' authority was more than enough to do for his servant what no one else was capable of doing. What proved to be impossible for anyone else, Jesus could do just by saying it. What was impossible for anyone else to do, he believed Jesus could do just by saying it. And that, Jesus said, what? I want to have faith that is compassionate. I want to have faith that is confident. I want to have faith that is causative. Causative. Yeah, I know I use a lot of alliterations, but that's, that's how I think. It helps me to think. But I want to have faith that is causative. The word causative means it's, that's something that causes an act to be performed or it causes a condition to come into being. Amazing faith is causative. It makes things happen. And this centurion's faith was causative. I want to have a faith that is causative. I want to have faith that causes Jesus to be amazed. I want to have faith that causes Jesus to be amazed. Again, this is the only time in Matthew where Jesus is, where he marvels, where he says, wow. The centurion had no testimony to rely on. He may have heard some things. No doubt he'd heard one or two things. But he had no record of Jesus ever doing this. Nobody did this. And when the centurion said, all you have to do is say it, Jesus' response was to turn to his disciples. Pay attention now to what Jesus does. This this Gentile didn't go to synagogue, didn't know Leviticus, hadn't read a lot of Deuteronomy. Jesus' disciples had memorized the law and the prophets by the time of 13. This centurion could barely read it. They grew up in church. He'd never been. But his faith shocked Jesus. And, he, and Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, this. That's what he says. This, he said. This. This, was not a, this is not a contrast between unbelief and faith. I can tell I'm not making sense there. This story is not one of those stories that gives us a contrast between someone who has no faith and someone who has faith. We've seen those. This is not Nazareth. This is not, oh, you, why don't you have any faith? What's wrong with you? None of that. This is, this is simply, not all faith is the same. It wasn't that Jesus said, oh, this guy has faith, but none of you do. There are other people that had faith already. People had been receiving. People have had, people have had I don't know, normal faith. You know, eyes, blind eyes have been opened. Lame people have walked. Deaf people have heard. Uh, lepers have been cured. Things have happened. People have exercised faith, and Jesus has been happy to respond to it. But not all faith is apparently the same. This is a story about, I mean, faith is faith, but then, then there's great faith. Then there's faith that amazes Jesus. 
And that's exciting to me. That's exciting. You know what that means is that you don't have to settle for standard faith. You don't have to settle for the, you know, automatic transmission faith. For the roll down your windows faith. You don't have to settle for the, you know, the LE version. You can get the EXL version. You can have better faith. You can have more faith. You can have greater faith than you do. You don't have to stay the same with your faith. We don't have... Great faith can do greater things. Does anybody in this house want to cause Jesus to be amazed? Not all faith is the same. And it's up to you. It's up to you. This guy didn't stand in the bigger faith line when it was getting passed out. He's a centurion. He's a Roman. He's killed lots of people. He's probably killed people and took their stuff. He didn't have a great record. But when he needed help, he had great faith. And he didn't climb a higher mountain. You know, you get me? Oh, great faith. Oh, that means I've got to climb a higher mountain than everybody else. I've got I to gotta cross a wider river. I've got I've to you know, go from here to Salem and, and back on my knees or something. All he did was recognize and believe that Jesus could do something amazing. He just, he just chose, he just decided to believe in the significance of Jesus. It didn't even appear to require effort to have great faith. It just required a decision. It didn't require great effort. It was a decision. This is an invitation to great faith and great expectation. Essentially, Jesus turns to his disciples and said, Hey, guys, if this Gentile can do it, you can. He is attracted to, he is moved by, he is amazed at audacious faith. The message to the reader, to you and me this morning, really is to imitate this faith. You and I can have audacious confidence in the name of Jesus. You and I can have audacious, offensive confidence. You say offensive. Well, yeah, I mean, people say, well, I can't believe he said to Jesus, you can just speak. That's ridiculous. Jesus says, yes. You're going to run into people that think, well, that's ridiculous for you to believe that about Jesus. We're not trying to remake him in our own image. We're not trying to make him a genie. But if we can look, if we take an honest, genuine look at who he says he is, what the Bible says he is, and believe that, and just take a risk and decide to believe it big. And there'll be people that say, I'm not comfortable with that. It's going to mess with the status quo. You can stir up hope a little bit. Yeah, do it anyway. I've had enough of boring. Right? The status quo, normal faith. It's been all right. It's been a fun ride. But what if we took great faith for a spin? We can have audacious faith in the name of Jesus. So many times growing up at church, people would say, well, if only he were here in person. Can you imagine if Jesus were here in person? His name is sufficient. The Holy Spirit is present now to affect the name of Jesus, to put into effect all the authority of his name. Peter knew that, Acts chapter 3. 
He stay, he's, there's the man at the gate, of be- the gate beautiful. He says, hey, you got any money? Peter says, well, not on me, but what I do have, I'll give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Where, where was Jesus? Ascended. He had transcended the spiritual planes. He was nowhere near. It wasn't just a few hundred miles. He'd gone. But he had his name. And if we have his name, we have access to the spirit of God. To the dominion of heaven. I don't got any money, but I got his name. I don't got any money. I don't, got any other, I don't have the resources you think you need, but I got the resource that you absolutely need. I got his name. Somebody say, I got his name. I got his name. So he says, get. So he takes him by the hand. He doesn't even wait. Peter's all crazy. Picks him up. The guy, what's going on? All of a sudden, he's walking and leaping and praising God. Verse 12, people, people come around. They're looking, at, they're looking at Peter and John like they've got some new power. And Peter says, no, time out. Why are you looking at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has glorified the name of his servant Jesus. Then he says to the Sanhedrin, if you're asking us by what power or name that made this man walk, be it known to you, it is by the name of Jesus and the faith that comes through his name that has made this man perfectly well in the sight of you all. That's the name of Jesus. That's why Paul will say later in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 to the church, he'll say, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Believers, he says, do it as if it were him. Do everything with his clout, with his authority, and with confidence in his character. And expect his results. Uh, expect his results. That is faith that still delights Jesus. We need to continue. I want to have faith that causes Jesus to be amazed. I want to have faith. <laughs> I want to have faith that, God, that causes God to make room for me in heaven. <laughs> oh, That's what he said. He said, oh, he said, many are going to come from the east and the west. But he said, the Gentiles, fellers like this, they're going to sit right next to Abraham. <laughs> well, I got to mess up. I, I must I gotta be somebody really important. I got to have some, I got to be part of the tribe of uh, Levi and be about that, you know, my Levi lineage and all that kind of thing. And I'm going to trace, I'm going to get, I'm going to get the one, two, three, me. What's that thing called? 23 and me. I'm going to blow into a thing, spit in a bucket and say I'm related to... <laughs> I'm going to spit in some bucket and say I'm related to Levi. Oh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm from, yep, me. I'm, Abraham is my great, 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 great. That don't matter. <laughs> Jesus said, you can call Abraham your great, 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 great. You can memorize every, every yacht and tittle of the law. But he said, but this fellow is going to sit right next to Abe at the table. <laughs> He's going to make room. Come on, sit right here. Sit right here. Why? Faith. Faith. Just faith. Faith will make God make room for you in heaven. Faith is the access to heaven, not merit. Faith makes the gospel equally available to every nation on earth. Faith gives each of us a privileged place before God. Because of faith, Gentiles will get in, but those who thought they were entitled will not. 
fact, Jesus says, and this is important for us to hear, Jesus said, those who feel like they're entitled and haven't come with faith, they will be thrown out. Jewish sources often envisioned damnation as occurring in darkness, sometimes as a prelude to or in in conjunction with burning. The doctrine of hell was fully articulated, written down, codified, studied, agreed upon 200 years before Jesus started talking about it. And he just cited it, agreed with it, said, yep, you're right, but it's worse than you think. Weeping and gnashing. If you'll be thrown out into darkness, well, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That has to do with expressions of anger and anguish. And this is Jesus' depiction of hell. And faith in Jesus is how you don't go there. Jesus is delighted, however, to make room for you in heaven. Do you believe? I want to have faith that causes God's grace and power to prevail. Verse 13. Jesus said, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. I want to have faith that causes God's grace and power to prevail upon circumstances, upon me, upon those I care about, upon this church, upon the future, upon this city. I'm probably going to just go have to talk to Mrs. Depp. I want to have faith that causes God's grace and power to prevail. That's what Jesus said. He said, according to your faith, as as you have believed, it will be. As you have believed, it will be. That's what he says. Because you believed in the way you have believed, it will be. That is how heaven responds to faith. This is an invitation to great faith and great expectation. And I can't tell you how many precious commentators run out of breath to talk the reader out of taking verse 13 seriously. Breathlessly, they'll say, well, hell, now easy. It doesn't really mean what it sounds like. But Jesus never talked anyone down from faith. He never urged anybody to exercise faith in moderation. Make it easy now, all things in moderation. Moderation, for the most part, is for chumps. Jesus react, he only reacted negatively. He, didn't re, he never reacted negatively to excessive faith. He never did. He never said, oh, that's ridiculous. That's too much faith. He stopped and said, this guy, he's got it. He he reacted negatively to unbelief. See, friends, you and I, we can encourage faith, and we can challenge people who are struggling with little faith, and we can celebrate great faith without shaming and condemning or accusing people of not having enough faith. That's nonsense. Let's just, don't go down that, that wrong, condemning, shameful, deceitful path. Don't go down, just stay on the path of celebrating great faith. 
As you have believed, it will be. You will become, you will do, you will receive as you have believed. There is an invitation here for all of us to take a deep breath of faith and reimagine the future. That was really good. Take a deep breath of faith and reimagine your future as you have believed. Everyone who has ever had any influence, who has ever advanced the kingdom of God, anybody who has ever done anything for Jesus has been a champion of faith. Smith Wigglesworth said, There is nothing that our God cannot do. He will do everything if you will dare to believe. You say, well, that's that Holy Ghost guy. All right. What about the great Baptist, Charles Spurgeon? He must have had more moderate faith. (laughs) Give me something reasonable, Dev. All right, let's go with Spurgeon. He's safe. Faith obliterates time, annihilates distance, and brings future things at once into its possession. (laughs) That's old Charlie Spurgeon. Dwight Moody. God doesn't expect the impossible from us. He wants us to expect the impossible from him. (laughs) The centurion believed that Jesus had the authority to help his suffering servant, and that amazed Jesus. His servant was healed at the very moment Jesus said so. Believer, do you believe the name of Jesus has the same authority today? Well, you are wrong. You are wrong. The name of Jesus has more authority today. What? Yes, because the story is about Jesus before his his death and resurrection. When he said, "I I am sent to the lost sheep of Israel, and I'm not going to a Gentile home. But then, after his resurrection, he called his troop together. He said, now listen, boys. Listen to Matthew chapter 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go to every nation on the planet with my name. You have more reason to have more confidence in the name of Jesus than that centurion did. All authority in heaven and all authority in heaven and on and on earth. Paul said of Jesus that he he humbled himself. This is important. This is good for Christology here. Uh, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Scripture says that Jesus is exalted far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but in the age to come. Believer, what do you believe now about the name of Jesus? 
And what does it mean to you when you hear Paul say to us, whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus. At the very minimum, it means that you and I should practice audacious, Jesus-amazing faith. Let's pray together this morning. Can we stand together as we pray? Now. Would you pray with me?